Hello and welcome to this podcast from the City of London Churches. My name is Laura Jurgensen and I'm the Rector of St Botolph Without Oldgate. We're thinking today about the great outdoors. Later we'll hear about an extraordinary attempt to bring the seaside to the city. But first we're hearing from Paul Kennedy from St Vida's Foster Lane and St Mary's Older Mary. My name is Paul Kennedy and as Father Paul I'm the priest of two of the city's churches, St Vidast alias Foster and St Mary Aldermary and I'm doing an outside broadcast today reflecting on my almost daily experience of running along the Thames with a rather mad Springer Spaniel called Winnie and it's the things that can be noticed and seen and felt which you may not notice if you weren't running or you certainly wouldn't come across if you weren't down here by the Thames and the first thing I'd like to draw our attention to is the mosaic at Queen Hive it tells the story of London Uh, it's against the Thames you probably wouldn't be here unless you were running and it goes right from the first Roman invasion and the first bridge down to chronologically the Millennium Bridge and as you follow the mosaic and the winding Thames symbolically winding through the years you see three plagues quite um, appropriate at a time of Covid you see the Great Fire of course an event that changed London completely changed London Uh, there's Shakespeare there's wildlife there's uh, the fish there's what used to grow along the banks of the Thames and it's really worth finding so if you're coming along the Thames one day do stop and pause here. We've just come under the bridge at Cannon Street, Cannon Street railway station and often here in the early morning because it's warmer underneath uh, we've run into rough sleepers uh, getting a, a bit of warmth in the cold nights Running along the river is a bit like running through a village. You get to know the people and often meet at least two clerks of livery companies, one of which has a lovely dog like me. And um, there is a community, but it's a real cross community of people here along the Thames. We've just come to the Tower of London and we're going round the roadside rather than the riverside of the tower. This is the nicest part of the run, the run from Millennium Bridge down to Tower Bridge and back on the South Bank. It's the nicest part in the morning, particularly when it's rained overnight, because it smells down here. It smells of the scent of lavender. Um, It's relaxing, it's refreshing, and it's just also on the edge of the city, just past the old city wall. We're running round the tower, and uh, it's a great way to start the day, just here. chasing that dog. You can probably hear the traffic in the background. We're just crossing uh, Tower Bridge now and in three years of running, as I say almost daily, I've only once been held up by the bridge being open. You do get fantastic views from here. Going along the South Bank now, just past City Hall and it's the place to get the best view of the city looking back across the river onto the North Bank. When I first started working in London back in the 80s, I worked in the Lloyds building and I used to dominate the skyline. You can only just make out now a few of the blue cranes because 
it's been completely swamped, towered over by new buildings. There are, of course, the more, the slightly older iconic buildings, the walkie-talkie and the gherkin, but the new buildings around it, the towering blocks. Unsure now, I think, about who's going to move into them and who will stay in them. The city possibly going through a great moment of change. The other thing that you can see from here, as I remember from my childhood, is the monument where the, the fire of London started. Uh, and the skyline is quite clear around the monument. You get a great view of it from here. Um, we'll now head along the south bank towards the Millennium Bridge, going near Borough Market. We've just finished the run along the south bank, and if you run with a dog, it is required to stop at the Tate, the grass in front of the Tate, up until um, probably about eight o'clock in the morning. It's not too busy and uh, dog owners gather there. I know the names of all the dogs, um, but I don't know the names of the owners at all, which is normal for dog people. Uh, and then running back across the Millennium Bridge. It has, I think, the most iconic picture of the city as you run towards the dome of St Paul's, the dome built by Christopher Wren. And also, early in the morning, you get the most stunning sunrises coming from the Docklands and Tower Bridge. Um, and also, the seagulls uh, take off as you jog with a dog. The, the dog seems to upset all the seagulls on the suspension parts of the bridge, so you have this wave of seagulls in front of you. We'll carry on uh, with a dog up towards the best place in the city for coffee, uh, a dog-friendly church which serves coffee, uh, St Mary Aldermary, and we'll make contact there. We're in uh, St Mary Aldermary. You can probably hear my flat white being produced in the background. As I say, there are other coffee houses and there are other churches available, but if you've got a dog, this is probably the best place in the city. And dog-friendly, plenty of space. Um, the church itself is very unusual. It's a Wren rebuild, a Gothic uh, Wren rebuild. Most, most of Wren's buildings were a, a simple, more continental style. And the coffee is fantastic, all ethically produced and ethically produced um, cakes and pastries. Um, as I say, there are other places available, but do pop in. So that concludes my normal morning run with a dog, which is just over well, three and a half miles when I run from St. Vidas Church, where I live. Um, but there are plenty of places in the city to have a dog. Um, many of the small green spaces are churchyards, um, where the church is often gone, either in the fire or in the blitz. Uh, there's water, if you've got a water dog, a Springer Spaniel, for example. Um, by Barber Surgeon's Hall. Um, and a lot of places are, are pretty dog friendly. It's, if you live here or commute up here regularly, you will get to know the dogs, what time their owners are out walking, and um, whether they like chasing balls or what other treats they enjoy. So thank you for joining me and um, hopefully we'll uh, be running past each other sometime. Paul mentioned there that there's water near Barber Surgeon's Hall and there's a little added bonus. He sent us this great clip of his Springer Spaniel clearly leaping into it.
dogs obviously enjoy splashing around in the city, but I'm not sure people can splash around in quite the same way, although that hasn't always been the case, as Sophia Ackland explains. Hello, my name is Sophia Ackland and I'm Associate Vicar of All Hallows by the Tower. And I'm looking here at some amazing photographs from the 30s and I think some from the 50s as well sent to me by Christine Jarvis, who is a guide at the Historic Royal Palaces and also in our church. So, uh, Christine, I just wondered what you think of what we're looking at. There seem to be pictures of people on a beach, but it's clearly not the seaside. No, they're pictures of a beach that we know very well in the City of London, just outside the Tower of London. And it varies from both the 1930s and 1950s. First of all, you can see a young warder holding back hordes of people with a rope. Then they're clambering down a few steps and going on to a sandy beach. And it's uh, ladies with their children buckets and spades. They're going paddling and looking for shells, men in deck chairs, picking out the racing tips for that day. And there's also a picture of the Tiller girls from the 1950s later on, who are parading the latest costumes that they're wearing. And all this is in the shadow of Tower Bridge. Yes, that's what's so extraordinary to me. I'm looking at one of these and it's absolutely packed, this beach. You can't believe how many people are on it and in their deck chairs. And it looks like an absolutely classic beach scene. And yet there you've got above it, the, um, the piers of, of Tower Bridge just towering above it. It's, it's a really strange sight and some of the boats in the, in the river as well. It's a wonderful thing. So, so um, it does seem an odd place to have chosen to make a beach. Can you tell me any more about it? It's a bit surreal, isn't it? Because whenever I've walked along there, looking along the foreshore of the tents, it looks extremely muddy rocky and quite dangerous actually so you wouldn't expect there to be a sandy beach right in the heart of london but there it was it was between the length of the tower of london and also st catherine's steps so a magnificent site it's sort of our own riviera if you like in the city absolutely and how, how did it come about perhaps you could just tell us a little bit about that um, well, it all goes back really to tubby clayton the heaps called philip clayton but everybody called him tubby very, very intelligent man. He was vicar at All Hallows by the Tower. And he went to St Paul's School. And then he went on to study at Exeter College in Oxford, where he got a first in theology. But after ordination, um, when he became a priest, he became an army captain and was sent out during the First World War to both France and Flanders. And there, it's interesting, he met another chaplain, the Reverend Neville Talbot. And together, they opened what we know as Talbot House, um, it was in, I don't know how to pronounce it, Poporingi, uh, in Belgium. And it was where men could go back from the front for rest and relaxation. Of course, of course, it was, you know, right in the Ypres, and so it was devastation there. And the house that was set up was known as Top H, which was signalling abbreviation term for representing Talbot House. But when he left the army, in 1922 and to 66, he became vicar at All Hallows. And of course, he met a lot of the people from the East End, thought about it and also loved the city. And he decided to be one of those setting up the City of London and the Tower Hill. It was called Improvement Trust there. And he also worked with a brilliant chap called Lord Wakefield of Hythe, who um, not only was he the president, he was a former Lord Mayor and also quite um, a wealthy oil tycoon. They managed to get Edward VIII, Prince of Wales at the time, to be their patron too. So they got up together this Tower Hill Trust in order to improve the whole area around the Tower of London. 
For example, um, one of the reports they published was Pageant of Tower Hill, because they looked around the area and they thought a lot of the properties there were pretty grotty, really ugly. Um, and so they disfigured the area and they, they hampered really useful development. So they used to purchase some of these sites, demolish them, and then build gardens and open spaces for the people. Uh, one of the buildings that went was the Myers Tea Warehouse, which was really quite a blot on the landscape. And it was situated between the Tower of London and All Hallows, but nobody from the West could see a proper view of the skyscape. So they got rid of that for um, one of the things that they did. But meanwhile, Tubby loved everybody, especially children. And of course, when he looked over at foreshore, he must have heard screaming and laughing. And he saw kids clambering over the foreshore, very muddy, very dangerous, with the tides coming in out very quickly. Um, and rocky too, but there they were playing and of course swimming in the, in the water, extremely dangerous and it often proved fatal. So he thought, well, you know, it'd be a shame that we couldn't do something for the local residents. And one of the projects we had at the Tower of London, um, we took memories from local residents and one of them, Lillian Green, she used to go there as a child in the 1930s and later on, she took back her own children. And she remembered, I'll just read out a little bit of her memory. I was born in the East End and we used to play down on the foreshore at the tower. I must have been about eight or nine, nine or 10. My brother used to come along. And I remember there wasn't a lot of sand. All of us kids used to walk down the little steps and we used to swim down there. The tide used to come in and it would come up quickly. So you had to be very careful because we lost, we lost one or two of our little mates. One fell into the water and we couldn't get hold of him. He floated out and drowned. He was only about seven or eight. And we could all swim, but he couldn't. He fell down the steps. We tried, but we couldn't catch him. And so he died. And they, not only they get told off, they told, were told never to go there again. So Tubby, story, yes. so, it, so Tubby was trying to then provide somewhere a bit safer for, for these children to, to be. That's right. She knew children were attracted to the water and the beach. Um, but of course, from the East End, they couldn't possibly afford to go away on holiday or go into South End. So he thought, I know what I'll do. I'll bring a safe beach to them. And this idea of um, a sandy foreshore came to him about 1931. So why shouldn't the city have its own seaside where poor families who lived near the area could come along? And so he put this to the trust and together they put up the Great Goal Report, which was quite historic actually, because this area around the Tower of London has significance since Middle Ages and beyond, and nobody could trespass there from the Middle Ages. It meant death, men, women and children. But Tubby, Lord Wakeful and the others, they thought, well, we'll change this, we'll make it open. And so that will create fun for the children. As you know, the East End has a tradition of a lot of projects trying to help them, education, social welfare, but this was purely for fun for the children. Yes, that's a lovely idea, isn't it? Just for fun. And, uh, and how is it made? They brought barges along from Essex, 1,500 barges delivered their sand and also Lord Wakeful, remember, he, he was quite wealthy. Um, he paid for out of his own pocket 
a patrol boat and also they had watchmen around the beach when it was going to be opened so that they could keep an eye on everybody used it because the tide came in extremely swiftly as it still does today and it was very strong and deadly and so the beach opened on the 23rd of July 1934. Uh, Lord Wakefield he opened it and he read out a letter by King George V at the time which in which the king gave his permission to the children of the East End to have this tidal playground as their own forever. Uh, there were a lot of press there, including the Times, the current Lord Mayor, local Lord Mayors from all around the city and beyond, the Bishop of London as well, and the Lieutenant from the Tower of London, who was of course re representing the Constable of the Tower. And the Times reported as they cut the red tape, a ladder was lowered down, um, and that itself came from a salvage ship that had been sunk during the First World War, the Royal Pindy, and everybody just poured down onto the beach. As they did so, all the boats moored on the Thames, they blew their sirens um, just to welcome everybody on. And then the kids, they dived into the water to paddle, look for seashells and so on. But there was also a sort of giant uh, picnic head for them, opening day spread where there was unlimited lemonade, chocolate, there's many buns that you could eat. Oh. So you see them there, stuffing their faces. And <laughs> <playing with them. laughs> that sounds lovely. So it sounds like the beach was a really big success. It was. It's surprising, really, where it was. And it wasn't open for very long. They estimated that about half a million people had used it over the time it was open. And so it wasn't open very long because it opened July 1934, and it had to close prior to the outbreak um, of the war in 1939 um, and it was most popular especially with people of Stepney and Poplar um, but remember they could only go there in low tide and that was only roughly two two and a half hours and it was closed in winter so it wasn't open very long after the world war second world war it opened in the 50s and again people dashed down there to build their sandcastles they were swimming and you could have a rowing boat for thruppence you could row out to the the bridge, Tower Bridge, and back again. But by 1971, pollution happened to take the Thames, as we know, and it was finally closed. Although I would say that pollution probably was worse in 1934 than 1971. Oh, thank you. And, and what about today? Today, um, I have to say this because I'm a member of the Water Conservancy <laughs> Livery Company, but the Thames is extremely clean. It's no longer an open sewer where everybody dumps their rubbish and goodness knows detritus. It's one of the cleanest metropolitan rivers in Europe, if not the world. However, much of the sand over the years has been washed away. But at low tide, if you look over the railings, it still resembles a little bit of a beach. However, unfortunately, where it was offered to the children um, forever, it's no longer viable. You know where it is right by or Hallows, of course, next to the Tower of London. The Tower of London itself is a scheduled monument from 1900, and it's one of the most historic foreshores we've got in the country. You can imagine everything that's happened outside the Tower of London. Also, being part of the Crown Estate, um, you have to provide for the security, and that takes precedence. So access is no longer allowed now without permission from the Tower of London. And uh, this is a, a valuable archaeological site as well, isn't it? Oh, yes. It's, it's something archaeologists would die for, actually. 
the Thames uh, and what you find in it being the mud is anaerobic, which means it doesn't have the oxygen. And so um, a lot of what goes in, even when it's wood, leather and so on, without oxygen, it is preserved. And this um, anaerobic preservation goes all along 95 miles of the foreshore of the tidal Thames. It's one of our richest archaeological sites in the country and certainly one of the longest. Um, and also, as I say, it's been a rubbish dump for thousands of years. Can you imagine what's in there? Um, Neolithic tools, the Romans dumped their pottery and glass in, battles, you name it, it's been found in there. Anglo-Saxon fish traps, the whole lot. So uh, in 2009, we had a special open weekend in the Tower of London, and it was funded by the Tower Hill Trust again. And this was to celebrate the 75th anniversary of the opening of the beach in the first place. So it was historic royal palaces together with Colas, which is the City of London Archaeological Society. And they were delighted, of course, because they'd been trying to conduct an archaeological survey along the length of the London Thames. Um, and so as it'd been closed, they were finding quite a lot when they were allowed to go there. So they helped us set up at low tide um, for two and a half hours only, trestle tables, that people were allowed onto the beach, came up with their bits of pot, generally bones, um, a lot of pottery in Victorian, but everybody was delighted. And us volunteers from the Tower of London, we had allocated our groups and we'd take them to the tables and the archaeologists would identify what they saw. And my group, we found a bit of a, a Tudor coin. It wasn't all there, but we were so excited, absolutely amazed. Yeah, very exciting, absolutely. And I know mudlarking is still a big thing on the Thames, isn't it? Today, we know mudlarking is extremely popular throughout the country, um, but Tower Beach is not really allowed. There have been a few public open days, which began in 2001, and that was to encourage awareness of the rich history of the foreshore um, along the Thames, particularly by the Tower of London. But it was so difficult to enforce a number of people wanting to come down on the beach and remember it's very, very dangerous. So in 2016, um, the Port of London Authority decided that they'd issue very strictly permits if you wanted to mudlark on the beach. And mudlarking, of course, is, is having along and going along and collecting everything. But in order to get a permit, you've got to be a member of the Society of Mudlarks, and they have really quite a few members. So not many people can do it today. But it's all lost. Do you, can you go down to the Tower Beach today? Well, look out for their occasional opportunities. And often we have a festival along the Thames, Tokely Thames, Thames Festival. And from year to year, sometimes they have walks along the Tower Beach. And so you could have a good look then. It was due to be held this year, Tokely Thames, but unfortunately with COVID-19, um, it's of course all being postponed along with everything else. But watch out for it in future. Yes, thank you so much, Christine. And even if the beach has now passed into history, the Tower Hill Trust, which created it uh, with Tubby Clayton, is still going strong, isn't it? The Trust has continued its work for improving Tower Hill, providing gardens and open spaces for everyone to enjoy outside. And even though obviously those specific objectives from Tubby's day have mostly now been, been met. Uh, but for instance, they made some lovely new gardens that re refurbished the gardens in front of Trinity House, the Trinity Square Gardens at the beginning of this century in conjunction with Tower Hamlets Council and also again with Tower Hamlets 
Um, they have recently refurbished the terrace just outside All Hallows where lots of city workers come and eat their lunch sitting outside on the benches and admiring the planting there and have admiring also the view of the tower and the river. The trust has, has a wider remit now. It also um, helps the disadvantaged and the elderly and supports education and it's also extended its reach into Tower Hamlets as demographics have changed but it's very much still uh, concerned with the outdoor environment and making this part of London uh, a lovely place to live and to work. So we're very grateful to them. Thanks Christine so much for telling us the history of the beach. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the City of London Churches. We hope you've enjoyed imagining the great outdoors of the City of London. Our churches and churchyards are now open and we would love to welcome you.